following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Hi, Artisan friends. Here's the call to worship from, from Psalm 19, live from Finland. <laughs> the heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet, their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. It's rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, for our pre-sermon reading. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the light lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Be salty. So I want to start today with um, some thoughts on the imagery of darkness and how it's used in uh, the Christian Church, because we've been doing this series called Gradual Light, um, the idea of emerging from the darkness spiritually. And I mentioned this a little bit last week, but I wanted to go a little deeper and um, try to give voice to an African-American woman named uh, Barbara Holmes, um, or rather to allow Barbara Holmes to give voice to something uh, that is true of the experience of African-American people that's not true of my own experience, uh, which is hearing this language of darkness and light um, 
in association with an identity that is sometimes tied to some of that same imagery and associating negativity and positivity with those things. So here's what uh, Ms. Holmes says, and I'll try to put this on the screen in post. I apologize in advance if I can't figure that out. Um, she says, as an African-American woman, I wear darkness as a skin color that I love. Because I saw my aunties negotiate darkness as a reality with as much potential as light, I stopped being afraid of the dark. I realized that sight and insight were not dependent upon the glaring light produced by humans, for there was an inner light that glowed and revealed much more. In my mind, church talk about an association of darkness with evil and goodness with light made no sense. I knew that darkness held and healed me. So there had to be many types of darkness that I could differentiate, dismiss, or embrace. Uh, that's a partial uh, reading of something that, that she contributed in the uh, um, Center for Action and Contemplation's daily email um, a couple of weeks ago, um, almost a month ago now. So if you wanted to read more of that, you could go to cac.org and find their daily meditation from December 29th. Uh, but I I bring that up because I want to make sure that I acknowledge that reality, um, which is not my own. Um, and I, uh, I I think about this much the same way as um, something else that comes up in some of these readings during this series, which is the idea of blindness. And the idea of a spiritual blindness uh, is one thing to consider, but it would be helpful, I think, and... and um, an exercise in, in charitable Christian love for um, those of us who are sighted to uh, consider how people with visual disabilities might uh, receive that language, right? Um, and even stories of healing in the Bible, which which can be problematic um, or challenging for uh, people with disabilities, and we've <clears throat> we've heard some of that, uh, some witness to that in our community over the years, and and we are doing our best to always attend to those things. Now, that doesn't mean that we eliminate that kind of language from our vocabulary entirely. It's the language of scripture, and I think it makes sense to deal with it and to um, allow it to speak to us. But we always ought to be doing that um, with kindness and gentleness and um, empathy for people who have different experiences from our own. Um, uh, especially when those different experiences have resulted in their marginalization, including within the church. So... I wanted to make sure to talk about that a little bit before we got any further into this series. And um, we have a couple weeks left for this. Maybe it'll come up again. Um, and I think next week we're going to talk about um, even more ways to redeem the darkness and to realize that God is at work even in the darkness. It's not only about light coming into the darkness, but God's presence with us in the darkness. But today what I want to do is talk about the idea of being an epiphany. Um, we started this series with the idea of having an epiphany, a realization, a revelation. Um, and then we continued last week with the idea of living an epiphany because um, simply having one moment of realization is not enough to have a flourishing, ongoing spiritual life. And today's gospel reading, uh, which you heard a moment ago, is from Matthew chapter 5 the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
let your light shine before others. Or if you're old enough to have maybe heard it in the King James Version, um, let your light shine before men. All right. Um, I wish I were there with you live, um, even on Zoom right now, because this is one of those passages where I think it would be really, ins- uh, it, um, it would give me a lot of insight if I were able to ask you the question that is so useful, a question that I've learned from my friend Don, which is how have you heard this passage taught? You know, whether you grew up in the church or didn't, um, how have you heard this passage taught? I wonder, I wonder what your answer to that question would be. I bet I could make a pretty good guess because I think a lot of you have heard this passage taught the way that I heard it taught a lot growing up, which is in um, connection to evangelism, um, which in turn would have been defined, I think, too narrowly um, as trying to convert as many people as possible to Christianity or maybe to your version of Christianity that was taught in your church. You know, and we could we could see other verses in the Gospels, like Luke eight sixteen, which says, "No one, after lighting a lamp, hides it under a jar or puts it under a bed, or but but instead puts it on a lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light." So the idea of um, don't hide your salvation under a bushel basket, right? Or maybe you've heard it that way too. Don't hide your salvation. Be bold and proclaim it, and in doing so, you will draw others to Christ. And their souls will be saved as a result. Well, I want to say up front, I mean, that I'm 100% in favor of drawing people to Christ. I make no apologies about that. But the way that I think about it um, in recent years has changed somewhat. In other words, the way that I think about what it means to draw others to Christ, what it looks like, the reasons for doing it, all that. And I think there's... um, something missing from the way that I used to think about that in the past. And the thing that is missing is humility. Um, I probably don't need to tell you there are many, 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 many admonishments in the Christian scriptures for us to be humble. Uh, Exhortations for us to be humble. Admonishments against pride. And it starts for Christian people, in my view, with the imitation of Christ, who said, I am gentle and humble in heart. Christ, who identified himself as a king, but a king, he said, coming to you humble, mounted on a donkey, you know, and as opposed to a war horse, by the way, is the, is the visual imagery there. Christ, who we read uh, and read in Philippians 2, um, laid aside the privileges of divinity and humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. In addition to the uh, imitation and example of Jesus, we could look to the teachings of Jesus. He said, all who exalt themselves, lift themselves up, will be humbled. And those who humbled themselves will be exalted. That's a teaching that appears in three out of the four Gospels, the stories of Jesus in the Christian scriptures. It's reiterated in the letter of James uh, and in many other of the Christian letters. So it's clear that whatever it means to be an epiphany, to let our light shine before others uh, and glorify God and draw people to Christ, whatever it means to be an epiphany in that way, 
It could not possibly mean or resemble anything like arrogance or like holier-than-thou attitudes or like airs of superiority. In other words, it probably shouldn't look like a great deal of what passes for evangelism in a modern transactional Christianity. Right, now maybe I'm bringing my own baggage to this. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly bringing my own baggage to this, but, but maybe it resonates with some of you as well. So, as I said, I'm 100% committed to the idea of drawing others to Christ. I do think that we may be able to reclaim the idea of letting our light shine before others in a way that still practices Christian humility. And so what I want to do is offer you two ways of thinking about that in hopes that they might resonate with you or challenge you. And I think actually, perhaps, since I'm offering you two ways of thinking about it, one of them is going to resonate with you and the other one is going to challenge you. And you might, um, you might turn to your neighbor, I won't ask you to do that, but you might turn to your neighbor and share your experience and they would have the opposite experience where the, the first one challenged them and the second one resonated with them. So here's the first way of thinking about being an epiphany, letting our light shine before others. And it's the idea of light as warmth. It's minus seven degrees Fahrenheit as I'm recording this. Uh, Bright and sunny, but very cold today. Um, I think that if we are going to be an epiphany to the world around us, we should offer warmth in the cold places. Because light brings warmth. And if we bring warmth, we'll be bringing light. So what does that mean? I I think it means um, loving people who are unloved. Which sounds easy until you realize that people who are unloved sometimes are kind of unlovable. And so to offer light and warmth means to love people who are seeming to be um, unlovable. I think it also means helping people who are in need. Uh, Whether we think they deserve it or not, by the way, and I think so much of our tendency toward um, works of charity and mercy tends to be filtered through whether we think this group or that group of people or this person or that person is more deserving of the help that we can offer since it is limited. And I'm not sure how Christian people whose entire theological construct is based on the idea of receiving um, grace, which is unmerited, unearned, undeserved, could turn around into their world and decide who to help and who not to help based on whether the people um, in front of them seem like they deserve it or not. I think it's better for us to offer warmth and light indiscriminately and um, not try to, to decide who deserves it and who doesn't. I think it also means comforting people who have been wounded or harmed. 
And even if, if we have the skills, maybe even healing those people or doing our best to be, be active parts of their healing. And this is, this is hard for people in the church because so much of the pain and wounding that we can see around us sometimes seems like it comes from the church or is experienced in the church. But regardless of where it where it's been experienced, I think it's our job to bring comfort and healing to those who are wounded. <clears throat> so light as warmth. Um, maybe this resonates with you. Maybe it's a big challenge to you. Loving all people, um, even those who seem unlovable. Helping all people who are in need, whether they seem like they deserve it or not. And comforting people who've been wounded or harmed and doing our best to, to help heal them if we can. That's the first way of thinking about it. Remember, I said there's two ways. The other way that I think we can think about being an epiphany, you know, letting our light shine before others, is to think of light as exposure. Right? This language uh, comes up in scripture a lot too. And I think it actually might be some of the more um, challenging or painful language uh, for people of color. And so let's tread carefully here with this. But the idea of shining a light into dark places, right? exposing the works of evil that are hidden in darkness. And that would include, actually, the harm of uh, systemic and institutionalized sin. So think of darkness not as evil in and of itself, but as a tool of evil used to conceal and hide that evil. And so the other way of thinking about shining, uh, letting our light shine before other people is to shine a light to expose the works of sin and evil that are done under the cloak of darkness. And it's the church's job, in my view, and the job of each individual Christian, in my view, to expose the works of sin, to shine a light on the darkness in which it hides. And that means that we must not, cannot, ought not conceal the works of evil, which sounds incredibly obvious. <clears throat> and yet, if you've paid any attention to the news over the last decade plus, you know that the church has um, <clears throat> not only failed to shine a light in the darkness, but actually has actively increased the darkness, uh, increased the, con uh, the concealment of terrible, awful sin in their own house. As abuse scandals have been um, covered up, as um, people who've experienced abuse reporting it have been told to keep it quiet. It is um, heartbreaking and infuriating that the church has been so derelict in its duty, has done so much the opposite of what it ought to have been doing in these situations, which is to shine a light and expose the darkness, even when it happens in their own house. And it's not just the Catholics. It's not just the Southern Baptists. That would be the wrong way to think about this. Both of those groups have been in the news in various times, and there's, there are, are others. But the entire Christian church is complicit in this. And other religions too, but let's talk about our own house, right? 
We have utterly failed in this opportunity to bring light to the world as an act of self-preservation, which would be evil and wrong on this face, but has also uh, been a complete failure on a practical level because it hasn't preserved the institution of the church to hide its own works of sin in the darkness. It's done the opposite. So that's, that's a big part of what we ought to be thinking about. But it's not all of the story. Right? It's not that we should only concern ourselves with shining a light into the darkness of our own house. That would be a great place to start, and it's something that we should focus on as needed, as often as needed. But I believe we are also called to be brave and bold in naming and rooting out evil wherever we find it in the world, and that includes outside our walls. And it might be helpful to realize that the word for righteousness in the Bible, which if I were to ask you what that means to you, I, I bet a lot of you would say it's connected to an, uh, something like individual or personal holiness, righteousness, being a righteous person. The word in the scriptures for righteousness is the same word for justice in the scriptures. And we read the Bible in English, both the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures, that is the same word. So for every time a translator who, who did this work um, looked at the Greek or Hebrew words and translated as justice, there's another time where they looked at that same Greek word or Hebrew word and translated it as righteousness. It's the same word in the original languages. Right. And I think that matters in this case because um, it might might cause some of us to turn to, to turn our attention from um, what looks more like individual people behaving well, you know, hopefully ourselves, but definitely the people sitting around us, right? And instead, not, not neglect that necessarily, but to turn our attention to bigger and broader issues, right? So it's, it's not just personal holiness, it's a righteousness that encompasses and includes justice for all people, um, many of whom are experiencing injustice because there are entrenched systems in our society designed to keep them down. And it's, it's part of the church's work in the world to let our light shine before others in a way that exposes that as a work of darkness and gets involved in the work of dismantling it. Right. So those are the two ways of thinking about um, being an epiphany, after having an epiphany and thinking about living an epiphany, if we want to be an epiphany as a people, we have to think about light as warmth and also light as an exposure of that which is hidden in darkness. And those two ideas are possibly in tension with each other as you think about them. It, it might be tough for you to find a balance between the two. And so I'll leave you with some questions today. And these are ones that I hope will help you work out that balance between those two ways of understanding being an epiphany. The first one is, as you think about being a warm light or being an exposing light, which one are you more naturally drawn to? Which is the one that goes, that just feels like, oh yes, that would be, that's my way of doing this. That's, that's the easier way to think about it, maybe. But, but don't beat yourself up over having an easier way of thinking about it. 
one or the other. God made each one of you individually. Um, and part of that is that you have different tendencies and strengths. And so don't apologize or beat yourself up over not having the strengths that somebody else has been given. So what are some ways that you live out one or the other of those understandings automatically almost? What are some ways for you personally that it's just totally natural, almost automatic to be a warm light or to be an exposing light? Take a moment to embrace that part of you and to celebrate it and to be grateful to God for making you the person you are. And realize that we're all called in some, on some occasions to be both types of light. And so I want you to think also about the other way, the one that doesn't come as naturally to you, the one that doesn't seem easy, maybe it even seems really, really hard. What are some ways that you could live that out? And you know, my instruction to you is always the same. Start small, right? It doesn't need to begin with, you know, the superhero version of this. Start small. And finally, as you sit in the presence of God right now, as all of us are, wherever you're sitting or standing, I'm sitting on a plane as you hear this word. You might be sitting in your living room. You might be doing dishes, whatever you're doing. Acknowledge that you are in the presence of God. And so which type of light do you most feel called to be by the Holy Spirit today? This week, maybe. I'm not talking about for the rest of your life. What is it that the Spirit of God might be calling you to be right now? And and then how will you shine that type of light today or this week? I want you to think of one concrete action that you can take in the next few days that would shine the light of God that you have in you before other people whether it's warmth or exposing light. How can you shine it and be an epiphany this week? I'll leave you with a closing prayer from one of the old church fathers, Columbanus. Lord, I pray that you may be a lamp for me in the darkness. Touch my soul and kindle a fire within it, that it may burn brightly and give light to my life. Thus, my body may truly become your temple, lit by your perpetual flame burning on the altar of my heart. And may the light within me shine on my brethren, that it may drive away the darkness of ignorance and sin from them also. Thus, let us be lights to the world, manifesting the bright beauty of your gospel to all around us. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.